You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Clay Mask. Clay is the CEO at Keep, a small business automation software. Clay has a new book, Conquer the Chaos, The Six Keys to Success for Entrepreneurs, coming out in March. And Clay also loves playing golf and watching sports, and he's got a serious passion for the Arizona pro sports teams. Clay holds a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Arizona State University, a JD and an MBA from Brigham Young University as well. So this is a smart guy. Tune in. Pay attention. Clay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Laura. Great to be with you. I can't wait to have this conversation. But first, tell us a fun fact about you. You know, the fun fact is I've got my sixth grandchild on the way and those little grandkids are so much fun. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. And when is number six due? January. So I'm way too young to have six grandkids, by the way, but that's what's happening. So I completely understand where that whole train of thought is going. I'm too old to have a lot of things that I seem to have somehow one way or another. But what's the age range of the other five? Yeah, the oldest is four. So we've got like four, three, two, one newborn. And now this one in January. It's like all those little Russian nesting dolls that uh, pack one into the other. Oh, what fun. Do you get to see them often? We get to see the four and two-year-old a lot. They live right here in the Phoenix area where we live. The others live out of state. So we see them occasionally. The six kids are spread across three of our kids. So Got it. And what do they call you? What is your official? I am Poppy. Poppy. I love it. Well, we're going to stick with Clayton here, but Poppy's going to stick in my mind for the rest of the interview. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Now, tell us a little bit about the company. Tell us about Keep. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Yeah. So most small businesses run on chaos because of the hectic pace and the life imbalance for the business owner and poor systems and processes. Keep is an automation platform. So we do marketing, sales, and workflow automation all in one business automation platform to help our customers get more growth, freedom, and profit in their business. That sounds good. Growth, freedom, and profit. I don't know anybody entrepreneurial or otherwise who wouldn't like a little bit more of that in their lives or perhaps a whole lot more of that in their lives. Now, that was crystal clear, but what's something that you wish more people did understand about either your role, your company, or your industry? And what is your role personally in changing that perception? In the last decade or so, marketing automation has become a big deal, but it actually drives more chaos if you don't have your business automated the right way. And so just helping people understand that, well, we love marketing automation. We do marketing automation. It's a big part of what entrepreneurs need. In order to really conquer the chaos, as I say in the book, you need business automation, marketing, sales, workflow, all of that in one business automation platform. And so who is it that you're talking to when you're trying to help shift this perspective? Generally, it's the business owner or the overburdened team member that's frustrated with all the hats they're wearing and being spread so thin. But yeah, our customers are generally two to a hundred employees. They'll usually start working with us where they're somewhere between two and 10 employees, but that's who we serve. What is the mindset that you find that they have? What's the framing they've got internally that 
is their sticking point? What's the friction, the resistance? A lot of times it's that they really haven't set out their processes yet. And so they know that they're having this chaos. They know they're having this waste and loss and they're, they're frustrated and you know things are slipping through the cracks, but they don't really know why. So sometimes they get frustrated with their employees or themselves, but it's the poor systems and processes that cause the chaos more than anything else. And most entrepreneurs don't really want to do process. That's not like their thing of like, oh, I'm going to go lay out the processes. But we have a really simple method to help them see it and identify the low-hanging fruit and then go automate it. Love it. Then with that, I'm kind of curious, there's a lot of asking involved in all of this. So, and we all have someone from whom we'd love to ask for something, whether it's advice or a coffee or something else, but we haven't worked up the courage to make that ask. What's a time you really wanted to make the ask, but were afraid to do so? And how did you finally pull the trigger? What I've recognized is entrepreneurs in particular, we are not prone to get it out there. And there's a lot of vulnerability in that. Mm -hmm. You know, probably the best example I have of this was a time where things were very frustrating in our business. And we have a board of directors and things were not going well. And I had been kind of shoved aside a little bit. Wasn't very happy about that, by the way. That's Mm -hmm. not very fun. (laughs) Sure. But I was really frustrated. And I was like trying to help the board see that things were not going better with me on the side. And I wasn't willing to just go and say, hey, I want to run the company again. And if I can't do that, then I need to actually just step out of the company. That was Mm -hmm. a big ask to make. And I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. And so I prolonged what I think was a really unfortunate period of time in our company because I wasn't willing to make that ask. And I think back, if I had just done that earlier, how much things could have improved so much more quickly. And that's a really big ask at that point, because really it's an ultimatum saying, you know, I understand that the board was brought in for a particular reason. We want their advice. We want their perspective. But it's not guaranteed that they're always going to make the best decision. And for whatever reason, as organized things weren't going as planned and you had a decision to make. Yeah. I'll give you a little more color on what happened. Our board of directors who have to this day have good relationships with, we thought we needed a chief operating officer. Mm. And so we brought that person in and pretty soon that person was running the whole company. And I really was sort of a figurehead. I really didn't have any of the control over the business and it became very frustrating. And my wife heard about that frustration a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet. And she finally said to me, she's like, look, Clay, I've heard you talking about this for so long. It's been a couple of years. You just need to tell them either let me run the company or I'm out. And I didn't want to do that because like you said, it's like you might leave. And and I love this company. I love what we do. And I didn't want to be sent packing. I wanted to be able to run the company, but I was too afraid to get the answer I didn't want. And so I didn't ask the question. And ultimately I did. I Based on my wife's recommendation, I finally did it. And lo and behold, they said, okay, we'll let you run the company again. So I'm guessing that the conversation was a little bit longer than that. Was it during a quarterly board meeting? Was it, did you call a special meeting to have this discussion? Was it more socialized one-on-one by email to connect with people? Or how did you you just sort of surprise, uh, here's my ultimatum? I had actually been telling them, you know, hey, I want to run the company. You should put me back in charge of the company. And it was no, 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 no. And so what I did is after Sharice had that conversation with me, I wrote it all out in an email to my lead board member. And I just laid out the explanation. I said, here's the situation as I see it. And if I were in your shoes, I would either let me run the company or go sell the business because it's not working. This isn't working. And that was a very scary thing to do because I didn't want to sell the business either. And yet I wrote it all out in email, sent it to her. 
I said, hey, I'd love to talk to you about it. She called me right away. I'll bet. <laughs> we, we, had a, <laughs> we had a conversation about it. And she said, why in the world would you say that, that we should sell the business? And I said, well, I don't want to, but it's not going well. And so I've laid out the reasons why I think a change is needed. And my, from everything I can see, I've asked over and over and you're not giving me that opportunity. And so, you know, I'm to the point where I'm saying either send me packing or change the COO structure or sell the business. Those are the options that I see you have in front of you. And I'm mm-hmm. done doing it the way things are. And so let's take one of these approaches. And it sounds like you took a very objective approach to the argument insofar as here's the history. I know since change X, here's where the numbers are. Here's where the numbers are looking. So there's sufficient evidence to say, regardless of how good the intentions were and how good the projections looked, hypothetically, it's not panning out. Now, whether it's due to the pandemic and all sorts of other sorts of things that we couldn't have predicted or something else kind of doesn't matter. The fact is the plan isn't working as intended. So was that conversation of course, the way it sounded as you just told it was perfectly amicable. So, Gene, why would you say that? I'm kind of curious. Was it was it that easy? It was so much easier than I thought it would be. Interesting. Um, why? Because I had made the request several times over an 18-month period, two years probably. And I had said, this is what I see. I think this is what we need to do. But I was in more of a persuasive perspective from what I wanted. And that persuasion was causing the message to not come through. And when I just laid it out very objectively and said, look, I see the choice is A, B, or C, but I'm not going to keep doing D. We're not going to do what we're doing. It just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Once I laid it out that way, it was like, okay, well, you know, let's talk through it. We don't want to sell the business and we don't want you to leave. And so let's talk about the alternative of having you run it. And it literally, we got to that answer within 60 seconds on the phone call. Mm-hmm. Despite two years of me asking and trying and persuading, you know, I thought a lot about it, Laura. And I think the difference is that I wasn't trying to persuade anymore. I yeah. was just making the request of what I wanted to do because I told her clearly in the email, this is what I would like to do, but I'm done trying to persuade or convince. I'm just going to make the request and I'm going to be content with whichever we end up doing. You know, it's interesting because you said, despite the fact that we've been talking about this for two years, we got to this answer in less than 60 seconds or to the let's talk about it state in 60 seconds. I almost would argue it sounds like it's because of, not in spite of, but because of the fact that there had already been 18 to 24 months worth of buildup. This was not new. This was not a surprise topic. It might have been surprised that you were actually willing to pull the trigger and say, I've had enough decisions have to be made. I'm going to force your hand one way or another, or I will make my own decision for you. So, you know, I think there's that important balance of is this totally out of the blue topically versus I'm just putting an end to something that we've been dancing around for a very long time. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, you said it perfectly. You know, I've thought many times, could it have happened quicker? I actually do think it could have happened quicker if I would have made that stand earlier. But it was honestly getting to a point where I was like, I'm not willing to do this anymore. I know what my preference is and I'll tell you clearly what that preference is. But I'm looking at this from your perspective as an investor, because you're an investor board member. So what's good for you? Right. And when I turned it and looked at it that way and was able to have a calm, just matter of fact approach to it, I think it changed the tenor from being a sales conversation of what I wanted when I was trying to persuade to more of an advisory discussion. Mm. And 
you know, whenever we're in a pushing sales mode, we tend not to get our best outcome. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. And look, it sounds like you went into the best angle ever, which is let me share what's in it for you, meaning let me, Clay, share what's in it for you, board member, and why this, take myself out of it, what this is in my best interest, what's in yours? And when you see that this, they really do share a goal and share what works for me works for you when we look at what's clearly happening at the moment is not working for either of us. So, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Continuing to do the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So let's explore new directions that way. And and how long ago was that? This was about three years ago. Okay. Yep. So you're on. clearly doing something right because you're still there and you're smiling yep. and you're talking that's about right. it. So that's <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well said. <laughs> but I think it's great. The idea that more often than not, we probably do tend to sit on these big conversations for much longer than we should. And assuming we approach them objectively and not that there's no emotion in it, but in a, not from an emotional angle, we're not letting emotions dictate the conversation and we're backing it up with evidence and saying, let's look at what's in everybody's best interest here. Chances are we're going to get that yes a whole lot faster, or at least the invitation to a very, very realistic conversation with outcomes as the desired end of that conversation, decisions, I should say, as the outcome. Uh, so kudos to you for really stepping up and pulling that trigger. Thank you. Uh, it's kudos to my wife. She was the one that got me out of my fearful place and got me to own up to it. So, so And kudos to her. And thank you. But what's your wife's name? Sharice. Thank you, Sharice. That's why we're having this great conversation today. We have you to thank for it. Love it. That's right. Now, exactly. we've just had this big challenge about how to step up in these moments. And really, the challenge, of course, in something like that is that you can't make an ultimatum unless you're willing to live with the answer. That's right. Which I assume is the scariest part of it all. That's exactly right. You got it. So let's find a slightly smaller challenge and levy it to the rest of the audience. Let's shift gears into our listener 24-hour influence challenge. Perhaps something not quite so ultimatum-y. I'm going to make up a word there. I've got a PhD in linguistics. I'm allowed to do that. So we're not going to do something so ultimatum-y. And instead, Clay, this is our 24-hour influence challenge. So it's your chance to challenge the audience to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? You know, I think a lot of times we get into a place where we're so frustrated with what we've been trying to communicate because it's not landing. When really a lot of times it is as simple as repeating it and having an additional conversation about it. And so my challenge is if you stop and think about an area where you're feeling blocked, you're feeling frustrated because you've already communicated it and it hasn't landed. My challenge is to go set the time with that person to have a conversation where you repeat what you're sharing, but you come at it from a little different perspective, similar to what I just described and look at it from their angle. Mm, okay. So the invitation that they would be extending to somebody else, what would that be? Yeah. The invitation is to have the repeat conversation with someone where your message has not landed. Which is hard sometimes when you feel like you, people are like, I already heard that. We already talked about this. Why are we revisiting this again? So is there a way to open that conversation in a way that people would be less defensive about it or less resistant to a repeat conversation? You bet. It looks like this. Hey, Joe, you know, we've talked about this issue before. I've shared with you my perspective. I think you understood it. But I noticed it's been bothering me that we're not getting the outcome that we wanted. And I think we were pretty clear, but maybe not. And it got me thinking, you know, there's probably something you're seeing that I'm not. So I wanted to just have the conversation with you again and find out 
what's going on from your side. What are you seeing? And I'll be happy to share why I'm feeling this disconnect between what I thought we'd agreed upon and what I see happening. I love that. And I hope that everybody else out there, if you're driving, you just quick like pulled the car over and rewound and are taking some notes on the app. Otherwise, if you are sitting at your desk or someplace else, back that up because he just scripted for you, for us, for me, for everybody else, a great entree. Because I think where we often say to ourselves, yeah, I know. Yeah, I should. But the biggest gap in the world is the three inches between our brains and our mouths. We know in theory what we should do. I know I should talk to him about X. I know I should bring up this topic. I know I should revisit this issue. But we don't know how to start, how to get out of that inertia, how to break the friction and just start the conversation, starting the ball rolling. And that was such a beautifully clear, concise, direct but non-confrontational and non-threatening and non-anxiety-inducing framing. So I'm really going to encourage everybody out there to go and just replay those 30 seconds one more time and just script it out for yourself. I know that uh, we've had other conversations about not being, neither one of us are big scripting fans, but this is one of those nuggets where I'm going, yeah, you know what? Script this one out. Make it your own, tweak it any way you want. But that was such a nice, tight on-ramp to a conversation along these lines. So thank you for providing that nice uh, grease skid for us. Yeah, you're welcome. And the reason why I feel passionate about that challenge is that as leaders in particular, we frequently, and, and by the way, a leader is a parent, it's a neighbor, it's a, you know, I'm not just talking about a C-suite leader, it's anybody. We get this residue of frustration that's going on inside of our minds and hearts because there's a gap between what we expected and what we're experiencing. And we then carry that with us. And all it takes is for us to stop and notice, hey, where is there a situation where I've communicated and I thought a certain thing was going to happen? It's not happening the way I want. And then just go have the conversation. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a quarterly review preparing for something. And I think, why in the heck have I not already had this conversation? But it's because we have to slow down and reflect. And so that's my invitation and my challenge to slow down for a second, reflect where there's a gap, and then go have that conversation. Yes. All right. That's terrific. So everybody's got their script ready to go. And actually, one thing that I'm curious about also is when have you allowed yourself to be emotionally vulnerable with your team? I mean, there's vulnerability in the sense of the ultimatum, but that's also kind of standing up to someone. It's putting yourself out there, but it's a little bit different. When have you allowed yourself to open up to that team and how did it impact your relationship with them moving forward? Yeah. So a few months ago, I was working with my team and I could see that they were responding a little bit in a way where they were feeling a little micromanaged. And so I opened it up and I just said, Hey, where are you seeing this? Where is it happening? What am I doing that is frustrating to you? And I got amazing feedback, you know, some specific examples, you know, where I was just too in the weeds on certain things and not trusting them and holding them to a level of performance, but trusting them to do it and being a support for them instead was just getting too in the weeds. And so I opened myself up to that and just said, look, I don't want to be that way. I, d- I definitely recognize that when performance isn't there, I tend to get a little bit more into things, but we can have a better way about approaching that. And so that was an example. And then we had several months in the follow-up where I've just worked on that and demonstrated my trust in them, my willingness to allow them to execute and to lean on me for help. All the while, I hold the standard of performance and results that we need. A lot of times leaders will ask for feedback, but not get it or get very superficial, perfunctory feedback along those lines because people are afraid to be too direct and to make it sound like they're criticizing their boss or to say something that the boss doesn't like and then feel like it's going to come back and bite them in the tail later on. So what do you think 
was either a factor involved in the dynamic of the relationship, the context, the framing, something else that allowed people to really be open with you and tell you the truth. What I did is in this situation, I had individual conversations first. You know, it's interesting because I've got some members of my team that I've worked with for a decade. You know, I've got others that are newer. So I kind of started to get a sense from one that was, that's been with us for about three years or so. I've worked very closely with her. And I tried to tease it out and draw it out as much as I could and create that safe space. But I could tell that even then she was still holding back a little bit. So then I went to another member of my team that I've worked with for a decade or so. And I brought it out and she said, yeah, I can see this. I think there's something there. And she helped me to get a little better picture of it. And then also I just relied on her and a couple of other team members to help the others see that it's safe. Like I actually want to hear this. If nothing else, I am a you know, a self-improvement junkie. I just want to get better and, and I need that feedback. And, and so they were able to then go show examples of when something like this has happened and I've responded to it. And that helped create a little bit more safety. Then when we got in the group setting, I kind of leaned on the ones who had more trust and more time with me in the foxhole that knew it was safe to do that. And that's how we kind of drew it out. And we ended up having just an amazing group discussion with some very specific and practical things that I could do. And I think they felt more heard the partnership crew, you know, with individuals and we got a lot stronger as a team. Was the feedback conversation one that you did collectively, sort of all around the table and just sharing and letting them all piggyback on each other's or was it more of a one-on-one done privately so that they didn't have to speak these kinds of things in front of each other? It was some of both. I had done some one-on-one stuff to kind of lay the groundwork and grease the skids so that people would talk when we got into a group sure. environment. And then in the group environment, I just said, hey, no holds barred. Like we're big Patrick Lencioni fans. We practice mm-hmm. the principles that he teaches in Five Dysfunctions of a Team and all in his other books. And so I just said, look, this is going to help us build trust. You know, it all starts with that vulnerability of the leader. And so I just tried to model that. And by the way, I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect at this. I, I definitely still have my tendencies at times of micromanaging and, you know, doing all the things that we do sometimes as leaders that we feel like are going to hurt trust. It's not, so I'm not trying to say I'm perfect at this, but I really work at it. And I think the team can see and know, they, they know that I work at it. And those that are newer members of the team are becoming more and more aware of, yeah, that's how we do it. We're just really open and we work on these things. I think once they watch somebody, at least one person who has that comfort and that trust with you, modeling, giving you feedback in public, and they see that that person didn't die. You didn't shoot laser beams out of your eyes and you know reduce them to a smoldering pile of ash sitting there in their seat for having said something critical of you. It, it lets everybody else know that, okay, that, okay, th- so this really is okay. This person set the tone and this looks safe to do. The coast is clear, as it were. So kudos to you for taking that opportunity and, and allowing others to demonstrate on that collective level how to both give and receive feedback. Because if you weren't demonstrating openness to receiving the feedback, I assume no one else would have been following that person's lead either. Yeah. And that's one of the great principles that Lencioni teaches is the the leader needs to go first on that vulnerability. Yes, for sure. Anybody who has not read it, we can put that link in the show notes as well. But Patrick Lencioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and it's a whole bunch of others in his series of leadership work. And they're great. They're easy reads too, because they're kind of parables of sorts, which makes it a little more fun and easier to skim and get actually finish reading. What a neat thought, as opposed to all those other books that are on your nightstand where you're on chapter two or four for all of them and never quite pick them back up to finish again. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Is that anything that's uh, anybody out there? Just nod your head if you're there with me. Then what about 
a time when you've needed to inspire others. What did you say? How did you say it? What happened? First of all, I consider it my job to inspire others. Like that's my job as a leader. And it's one of the things that I take a lot of pride in. So I feel like the things that I'm trying to do ultimately is help our people be the best version of themselves. And in order to do that, you've got to get that inspiration. And so I'll give you an example. Just, you know, last week we were at a conference and I was sharing with a few hundred people in the audience, some principles that I call the three transformative practices. And I feel so strongly about them because I've lived them, taught them, seen the, the success of them. And yet I've also seen how some people's brains shut down when you introduce these three practices. And so I said, listen, I'm going to share with you these three practices, but before I put up the slide, I want to help you understand that the way that your mind is set right now, as I show this, is going to have everything to do with how effective this is for you. And so, you know, I inspired first by preparing them. Sometimes it's called persuasion. And I prepared what they were going to receive. Then I shared these three practices. And then I gave an example. I gave a story about in my life when I applied these principles and how it made a big difference for me. And and in, in the process, I was a little bit vulnerable in that story. So happy to go deeper and tell you more about what that was. But that's fresh on my mind because it just happened last week at a conference And the inspiration was a combination of preparing them for what I was going to teach them and then sharing those three transformative practices and then using a story as an example that made it more real and more adaptable or Sure. And that's another great book that you mentioned in passing there. Persuasion is along with influence and a couple of others. I can't remind me who wrote that book. Robert Cialdini. That was Cialdini's. Okay. So I will put that in the show notes also, but uh, great authors on those pieces. So The idea of, of course, priming is what we're really talking about, framing, getting people in the right mindset. Because often I think when we, as you are giving them your best three tips for how to get certain results, knowing that any change we tend to resist. And occasionally we're really dying to implement anything possible, but more often than not, there's that resistance factor. And so if you know that they're going to receive your information with on guard, with walls up, then just to call it out and to say, look, here's the concerns. And when you put them in more of a, I'll I'll geek out for a second, a little bit more of a metacognitive state, a a little more metacognitive awareness or being aware of what their likely mental tendencies and behaviors are from an objective perspective. And like, so don't do this. You know, you're going to do this. Don't resist it. And they go, oh, right. Okay. Note to self, I feel resistance coming up. So let me try to suspend disbelief for a moment and just listen to what the guy has to say. Maybe there's merit in there someplace. Let me just be open to new ideas. Don't need to commit to anything yet, but just not kick it out automatically. I tell often when I'm coaching somebody that we need to use the video camera so that we can compare apples to apples and I will, I can coach you on something that you have also seen and heard. Otherwise I'm coaching based on what I heard you say and saw you do and you're receiving it based on what you meant to do and what you think you did. So when I get view any sort of feedback, you're immediately going to go into deny and defend mode. And that deny and defend mode is the kiss of death for any sort of growth, any sort of change, any sort of learning. So using that persuasion, using that priming, getting them ready actively, getting the brain prepped to receive the kind of information is always a much better way to use your term earlier to kind of grease the skids and help with that reception and retention for that matter of all those things. So great tips, great tips. And lastly, Tell me about a time you've interviewed someone for a leadership role when you thought to yourself, wow, this person really has it. What was it and how did you recognize it? 
we were interviewing for our CFO and I'd talked to lots of candidates and there were many candidates who were very effective at kind of explaining things, telling what was going on in a business. And a lot of times that's what CFOs do. They say, you know, they're kind of looking at the dashboard of the business, so to speak, and they're kind of telling what's going on. But that's not what I wanted in this leader. I wanted this leader to be the kind of leader who can change trajectory. I don't want someone who can just tell me what's going on. I want them to be able to make things happen and create the results and the outcomes we want. And it was so interesting because the interview was following kind of a normal path. I don't know. I I had dozens of other interviews with CFO candidates. And we got to a particular point and he stopped and he looked right at me. He said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. He conveyed it in a way that it was like, that's who I am. That's what I do. I go make things happen. And I don't just sit back and observe and say, hey, this is what, you know, you got to try this. I go make it happen. You know, I love your question, Laura. And I thought about this, the it factor, it is people who take such a level of ownership that it doesn't matter what else is going on. They will get the job done. I used to tell my kids when I was raising them, when there was something we needed to do and they were young, I'd say, listen, I need you to do this. And they'd come in and they'd give me an excuse and, well, this happened or that happened. And then I'd say, okay, keep working at it. And they'd come and tell me why, you know, the universe was conspiring against them. And I'd say, okay, keep working at it. And I eventually, one day I got really frustrated with them. And I said, my two boys who are the oldest were working on something. I said, boys, I want four words and only four words. The job is done. Mm. Don't come back until you can give me those four words. And they came back and they started to develop pride around the job is done. And the it factor is people who will go make it happen. They don't worry about all of the reasons why it's not going to work. They figure out how to make it happen. And I would say that, you know, virtually any CEO, any leader is hungry and eager to find those people that have the it factor where they will take extreme ownership and go get the job done. That whole the buck stops here mentality. Yes, that's great. And so in an interview, instead of I got it done is I'll get it done or the job is done becomes I'll get it done. Just that's right. Trust me on that. Right. All right. Well, there's a mic drop that we're going to end with today. Great context, great framings. Anybody out there, make sure you can own what it is that you're claiming to get done. Let people know you will take that action, get those results. Uh, Clay, this has been so much fun today. How can people learn more about you and keep? Yeah. Keep.com, K-E-A-P.com is the best place to go. We love helping small business automate. That's what we focus on, but keep.com is the best place. Terrific. And we will make sure that people go there. We'll put all that in the show notes so people can follow you, I assume on LinkedIn, probably in other places as well. They can learn more about you, about the company. And I have loved every minute of this conversation. Thanks so much for joining me today. Me too, Laura. This has been great. Thanks so much for having me. And everybody else out there, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free equipment guide to recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. 
Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.